you'll take out your outlines. It's great to see you. If you get the Bible with you, James chapter 4, verse 17. This morning, we're going to take a, a look at how to stop procrastinating. See, procrastinating is a universal problem. Most of us know what we need to do, but we just keep putting it off. The problem with procrastination is that it becomes a lifestyle. The more you do it, the better you become at it. Some people are professional procrastinators. Somebody else who said a procrastinator is somebody with a, quote, weight problem. James 4 verse 17 says this, Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. It's easy to procrastinate on the things I really need to change in my life. Why is that? Well, there are many reasons. And this morning's message is brief. We're going to look at, firstly, the cause of procrastination. Then we're going to focus on the cost of procrastination, followed by the cure for procrastination. So let's kick off. What are the causes of procrastination? As we do this, I think it's important to look at the key to overcoming procrastination is to understand why I do what I do. And you and I procrastinate for at least five reasons, the first of which is indecision. Indecision causes procrastination. Dithering, as my mother would say. Don't be a ditherer. You know what that means? Opt in between. Well, shall I do this? Shall I do that? No, shall I do this? Shall I do this? And in business, we call this, we're far more professional about that, we call it analysis paralysis. We analyze things to death and we actually never pull the trigger. Now, the Bible says this also in James 1.8. A double-minded man, taking a bed each way, is unstable in all of his ways. Unstable. That means you can't, be count- you can't build on that. You can't build a life when you're double-minded. <laughs> I see this all the time. My son, many of you know, my son and daughter-in-law own Burger Burger. And the number of times they send waiters away because the people still can't decide what they want to eat. <laughs> we could save a lot of money if when our waiters went to the tables, people knew, oh, they've had a menu for five minutes and they still can't decide A or B or C. So indecision causes you to do things like this. Postpone going to university so you take a gap year because you can't figure it out. You know what? University didn't just pop out a surprise. It's been coming for the last 19 years. Well, you know, so we need to think about those things before we get there. And the Bible always encourages forward looking and forward planning. Maybe indecision can cause you to postpone getting married. Well, is he the right guy? Is he the right gal? You know what? It's sometimes not a matter of whether he is or she is. It's a matter of how are you? How is it with you? Are you the right person? Are you having the right habits, showing the right attitudes, showing the right characteristics? How about changing a job? Indecision, double-minded. That's the first thing that can cause us to procrastinate. The second one, and this is a killer for some particular personality types, it is perfectionism. Things have to be absolutely perfect for me to make a decision I'm comfortable with. Again, in business, we normally go with a rule, if I'm 80% sure, I'll jump with it. If I can't get all the facts. Because that extra 20% will cost you everything you've got, and it's got more time, it's going to take more time than you've got to invest. So perfectionism causes us to procrastinate. The Bible says this, if you wait for perfect conditions, and some of you in this room know I'm talking to you right now, 
If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. You know why? Because in this world, there are no such things as perfect conditions. This is a fallen world. Heaven is perfect. Earth is not. So to expect perfection on earth is unrealistic. So perfectionism produces procrastination. And again, if you wait for things to be perfect, you'll be waiting a long time till you get to heaven. Friends, you do not have enough time or enough money for things to be perfect. So get on with it. Number three. The third thing that causes procrastination, and this is a biggie, it's fear. Flat out fear. The Bible says the fear of man is a trap. What other people will think about you? Or even, for example, fear in your own heart. How many of you have ever postponed going to the dentist? <laughs> oh, I'll put it off. Oh, I'll postpone going to, the, to get that. Here's a, here's a tough one. Are you ready? Marriage counselling. If the problem's been going on for 20 years, don't expect to be fixed in one appointment. And half the deal is you've got to get started. You've actually got to make the appointment. Or that appointment with the accountant because your finances are a mess. Or making that sales call. You know you should be doing that, picking up that phone and calling that decision maker or that influencer, or that recommender. But fear, fear of rejection sometimes, fear of a hard conversation, will cause you and I to procrastinate. Or, here's another one, even sharing your faith at work. Fear can cause you to procrastinate in that. You know you should. You've been prompted by the Holy Spirit to share, to listen sometimes. Often it'll start off with listening to somebody's pain. And you'll sense this person's heart is ripe and soft and hurting or depressed or anxious. And you've been scared. So you've procrastinated. Here's another one. This is a hard one. But it's in the scriptures. Number five. Laziness. Proverbs 13 4 says this lazy people want much but get little, whilst the diligent are prospering. Now, I've noticed over the years, especially our generation, has a low tolerance for pain. We don't like to be frustrated. And one of the most popular words I've seen in New Zealand language Kiwis like things easy. And if it's easy, we like it. If it's hard, we don't like it, as a general rule. Can you imagine trying a book bestseller list entitled something like this, 10 Difficult Steps to Change Your Life? How do you think that would go? You think people would be rushing out to buy it? Or 15 Hard Ways to Get in Shape? That's a fact. You ask Mikey how he's enjoying the gym at the moment. It's hard. His pectoral muscles are hanging off. I, I tell you what, you should do is just poke him right in the pectoral to see what happens. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> it's hard to get in shape. Most things that are good for you are hard. It's easy if we like it. If it's hard, we don't like it. So those are some of the brief causes of procrastination. There's many others. But what about the cost? 
Irrespective of the cause, what about the cost of procrastinating? Now, there are a couple of misconceptions I want to just nail about procrastination. When you procrastinate, you're saying to yourself effectively this, it's easier to avoid this than face it. That's what you're doing. That's what I do. And I've learned that's normally not true. We're believing a lie. Actually, my old boss used to tell me this, Ian. Because you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you have a situation at work, you have a team of people, whatever it may be, and you've got to confront something that's always easy to just, just let's just leave it alone. <laughs> and you, you don't want to do it. My old boss, he's a lot older than me, he said to me, Ian, it's, it's a life lesson. It is easier to take your lumps up front. That was his way of saying it. Deal with the hard stuff. Deal with it. Because if you don't, you're still going to have to deal with it at some stage. So you might as well get it, the pain over and done with first. Sort it out up front. Don't back away from that. We think, oh, well, it'll be easier to handle it tomorrow. That's often wrong as well. Normally, the longer we leave things, the worse they get. It's like an infection. If it smells or something in the fridge. Have you done that in the fridge? <laughs> What's that smell? Oh, I ain't got time. You leave that there. It ain't going to get better by itself. Somebody's got to do something about it. The Bible tells us there's a cost of procrastination. What are a couple of those problems? Number one is it causes problems. Procrastination produces problems. Procrastination produces problems. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 19, a lazy person has trouble all through life. And often, by the way, I just want to put a sidebar in here. Procrastination is often putting off a difficult decision we just don't want to make. So we put it off. That's what it really is. So to get rid of it, to blow that procrastination up, all we're going to do is make a hard decision. The Good News Version says, if you're lazy, you'll meet difficulty everywhere. This is a bit close to my heart this week because I've never, that's right, never run out of gas. But it got blooming close this week. <laughs> I was on fumes. How many of you have run out of gas? And you see the, the gas gauge where from the other side going down this way. And you think to yourself, well, it's not convenient to stop at the gas station right now. And I'm in a rush. I'll get it later. Friends, procrastination does not improve the situation. It increases the stress level and absolutely improves the probability of you having a bigger problem coming up real soon. So it causes problems. The second thing it does is it wastes opportunities. Procrastination wastes opportunities. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 verse 4, if you will not plow in the cold, when it's dark and cold, you won't eat at harvest. In other words, it's saying, make hay while the sun shines. When opportunity knocks, open the door. Whittier said, the saddest words of the tongue are men, from men are, it might have been. When life goes by because of all the lost opportunity. Whilst we're postponing decisions, life is speeding by. So procrastination can absolutely ruin opportunities. The third thing it does is it hurts people. When you procrastinate, you hurt people. What? 
Yeah. Procrastination hurts other people. It's often not loving to procrastinate. Again, the Bible says in Proverbs 18 verse 9, a lazy person is as bad as somebody who is destructive or destroys things. Procrastination, friends, can be a way of getting back at people that we don't like. Some of you have a mate, and every time, and you think, and you say that every time I ask my mate to do something, my, my, my wife, my husband, my girlfriend, boyfriend, and I've been after them for months, they're not doing it. Now, one of the reasons, maybe, that procrastination could be seen as passive resistance. In other words, I don't want to do it because I don't like you right now. That's what they're actually saying. Or, I don't like you telling me what I ought to do. And anger can also cause you to put things off. Because you're so ticked off. On the other hand, love requires commitment, which requires energy, which requires work. There's no such thing as love without commitment and work. The two go together. Now, a lot of people just don't want to work at being loving. And what that takes. Well, that's your job. I was very blessed with a mother who taught all of us three boys how to peel potatoes and veggies and cook and clean and scrub floors with lino and vacuum and clean properly. And she inspected what we did. And God help us, we weren't going out unless it was done properly. And when you cleaned the car, she came out and she checked up on our work to make sure we'd done it right. That's a good thing to do. Love requires commitment. And work. It's easier to be lazy than loving. That means I help my wife out with all the things that are historically in New Zealand culture, traditionally female. Like I wash dishes, I cook, I clean, and I do my other things as well because I'm physically stronger than my wife. So I can go longer, go harder. And that's okay. That's what I'm to do. In fact, the Bible actually talks about a man washing the dishes and drying them. If you want that verse, write it on your communication card and I'll send it to you. That's scriptural. A man washing and drying dishes. Some of you haven't read the Bible, I can see. (laughs) Many marriages break up because the root cause is laziness. What? That's a bit harsh, Ian. This is what the Bible says. Both partners see actually know what needs to be done to make a marriage work. But neither sometimes is willing to make that effort. You know, I, I, I know my marriage needs to be better, but I'm not willing to work at it. I'm not willing to do the, my part. Or my part, and this is where we get into trouble, my part is here, and your part is here. That's not a marriage. That's a business contract. There's give and take. Sometimes my wife's sick today. So that causes me to do other things that I normally wouldn't do. Of course. But even if she's not sick, sometimes things don't work out. There's a pressure over here or a pressure over here or one of the kids has got something there. So we help each other out. Sometimes I come across this attitude. I know my marriage needs to get better. And young people get that right at the very beginning. If if you're sick, where do you go? You go see a doctor. If you've got a financial problem, where do you go? You get an accountant, right? Or a tax account, whatever your problem is, you get some help. If you have a marriage and you have a problem, do not let it fester. You take action and you get some counsel. Then you've got the optimizer chance of it getting better. Because a lot of people say, I want a better marriage, but I'm not willing to get help. 
Maybe if I just wait, it'll get better. Yeah, right. That won't happen. That's called procrastination. Procrastination causes problems with our children too. Because lazy parents produce problem kids. What do you mean by that? Here's how this works. I know. You come home from a busy day at work, and you know the kids need to be disciplined. But you and I know that sometimes we're just flat out tired, right? And so we let things skate. And you ask them to do something, and they resist. They resist. And rather than make an issue of it, you just say, forget it, and you walk away. So the cure for procrastination, how do you fix this? We know about some of the causes. We know about some of the costs. But how do you cure this? Well, the first thing you need to do to cure procrastination is to stop making excuses. Have you got that next? Thanks, mate. Thank you. Next. Great. Stop making excuses. Have you noticed that other people have excuses, but I have reasons? <laughs> you have reasons? <laughs> it takes a very honest man or woman to figure out whether there's an excuse or a reason, right? <laughs> We're all very good at making excuses. I found a couple of excuses that people have sent in to their insurance companies for accidents. Number one, as I pulled away from the side of the road, I glanced at my mother-in-law and hit it over the embankment. <laughs> Did that remind you of somebody, Desmond? <laughs> Sorry. The guy was all over the road, so I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. <laughs> In my attempt to kill the fly, I drove into a telephone pole. <laughs> Trying to deflect it. Of course, it's the fly's fault. Yeah. I was on my way to the doctor's with rear end trouble when my universal joints gave way, causing me to have an accident. <laughs> How about this one? I've been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. <laughs> the pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran over him. <laughs> it's his fault. What's your excuse? What have you been saying one of these days, and you know you should be doing it? And you keep making excuses. The Bible says, Proverbs 22, verse 13. A lazy person is full of excuses. Somebody else said that people who are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. We become pros of it. So what's your excuse for procrastinating and putting off changing your life? The number one excuse I found in here in East Auckland is this. When things settle down, I'm going to fill in the dot. Friends, as lovingly as I can say this, things are not going to settle down. There's always something in this life. It's not going to get any better than right now. Don't say when the kids leave home or when the kids go to school or whatever. There's always something new. B, start today. Right now, whatever it is you're going to do, do it now. The Bible says this, never boast about tomorrow. You do not know what will happen between now and then. I was talking to a young lady, 38 years old the other day, who two days ago lost one of her best friends. She was 32. You'll say, I'll do it someday. Today is that day, start now. Now, three words that will do, is, do much for you in your Christian life is this. Do it now. Every time you catch 
yourself. Say, I'll do it later. That's a warning light that you're procrastinating. There's got to be a time in your life when you stop intending and you take action. And I'm not talking about some trivial things, because can I be really, really frank with some of you? Some of you got far too much on your plate. And all those things on your to-do list, not all of them are equally valuable. My recommendation to you is you write a not-to-do list, stuff you're not you take off some of that stuff, because not all of it's worth doing. You focus on your priorities that are going to change the most things in your life, personal life, in your spiritual life, in your family life, and you focus on them. There's not enough time to do everything. So sometimes pro- uh, procrastination is too, because you've got too many things, you're just bamboozled. You're mesmerized by all these things. Cut down, have limited aims and overwhelming force on the things you need to get done in this life. Because life is short. So stop making excuses, start today. Now take a moment. Now, I'm going to take 30 seconds or more now for you to get some value out of this. I want you to write down under three headings. Just write family, the word family somewhere. The word personal, this is you, and spiritual life. And I want you to write down three things that you know that God wants you to do. Not, well, duh, what should I do? But you know that you should be doing. One in your family. Just one thing in your family that God wants you to do in your family. Take your time. But one thing. Your family is given to you by God. It's precious. One thing. This is you. Secondly, personal life. One thing you've always wanted to start doing in your personal life. Now, if you don't do this, you're missing out the entire point of this message. You would be then classified, as Jesus would say, as a hearer and not a doer. And I never want that to be of you. I want you to always move forward. But to move you forward, you have to change from being a hearer on Sundays or when God speaks to you in your own private time to being a doer, a practical action, one thing in your personal life. And then thirdly, in your spiritual life. Maybe here's a challenge to help you on this one. What is your next step? What is your next step spiritually? Is it doing something that you know you should be doing but you're not doing it? Maybe like the habit of daily Bible study to grow my understanding of God. Or is it starting to serve somewhere? Or is it to forgive somebody and to get a fresh start? Anyway, now you've got those three and hopefully if you would do the word you'll have written some of those down. I want you to take just one of those today. And start. NASA in the US, I've watched lots of those launches, tell me that the greatest amount of energy required is getting the rocket off the pad. Once it's in orbit, piece of cake. It's an initial thrust to get started, so start today. See, next three, establish a planned schedule. Establish a planned schedule. You've got to do this. See, the Bible says, look what it says, a wise man plans ahead, a fool doesn't. That's God's word. 
It is very smart to plan ahead, counting on God to direct you. Because the Bible says man makes his plans, but God directs his paths. A fool doesn't. So if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So you need to designate some specific time slots each week for your task. Block it out. Friends, I was once working in a high-pressure multinational sales environment, much like Martin's working in right now. And I had very familiar with quotas, $36 million a month, and you start with zero. Sales teams in multiple countries, but I still knew God wanted me to study the Bible. So I blocked out for me, I'm not saying for you, but for me, I knew that was what I needed to do. So I blocked out from 5am till 6am for one hour to really study the Bible five days a week when I had three children. So it didn't affect them, didn't come out of their back pockets, didn't come out of my wife's back pocket because it was my time. But I had to make sure I went to bed early. So if you want to spend more regular time with your husband or your wife, schedule it in your diary, in your outlook, in your planner. If it doesn't get in there, I want to wager, if I'm allowed to say that in church, it won't happen. I'd rather have planned spontaneity than no, no plans. <laughs> I think my wife would appreciate that too. Here's another thing. It is good to work. And I felt as I was preparing this message, I needed to say this today, but some of you are out of balance. You're working way too much and you haven't even planned a holiday for years. Take some time to romance your bride. That's how you last a distance. It's biblical too. Schedule it. At the beginning of the year, before I even start, I look at the entire calendar and I say, I'm going to take my holiday then and then, and then and then. And I book it in. And my wife attempts to book it in with her, with her organization, which is sometimes a little challenging. But you put it in the calendar. You schedule it. Because if you don't write it down, you're not going to do it. And some of you say, well, when I have the time, I'll do it. Friends, we all have time. What it really comes down to is this one word, priorities. I'm trying to be as clear and simple as I can here. The Bible says a wise man plans, so schedule it. This is not making something up in your head. It's writing it down. So it says, if I'm planning ahead, I'm wise. If I'm not, I'm unwise. When you go with the flow, you just coast downhill. Ephesians 5.16 says, live like wise men. You make good use of every opportunity. I remember one guy who memorized over 100 Bible verses in California. Every time he stopped at the light, he had the, the Bible verse on his sun visor. Then it would go. Because sometimes they're there for quite some time. Da, 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 da. Remember it? Whoosh, back, drive off. 100 Bible verses. Just by, that's redeeming the time. And one thing I want to say too, I want to give you an example. When you've got big tasks, the way to get them done is you break them down to small tasks. I've written a thesis. I'm going to bring that today. Not to show you it. This is torture. He had a PhD and a doctorate in this, but he also had a doctorate in Word by the time he finished because of all the formatting you've got to do. The way you write something of this magnitude is you start one page at a time. It's just a lot of work, but you do it bit by bit. That's how you get to a ridiculous size of a book that you have to write. And it's the same in life. You take a big task and you break it down. A journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. You establish a schedule, you plan your life out, and the Bible says, wise men plan and they make good of every opportunity. Next, face my fears. 
face them head on. This is a tough one. This is really the root behind all avoidance. That difficult conversation that you need to have with somebody that, that lives in your household. Face them. Or at work, that difficult employee. Or you get to talk to your boss, because your boss is difficult. If you're avoiding something, you're typically afraid of it. And you have to identify those fears and then deal with them. And one of the main fears that keeps you from moving ahead is a fear of failure. What if I make a mistake? What if I embarrass myself? I'd like to start to do this, but I might fail. So I won't even get started. And we hate to admit it that we have fears, because if we have fears, it's a sign of weakness, right? Wrong. It's a sign of humanity. Just because you have fears. Somebody said that courage is not the absence of fear. What it is, it's moving ahead in spite of your fears. That's what courage is. All of us, if we're honest, have fears. Or we're brain dead. But we need to push against those. The Holy Spirit can give you that courage to do that. There's really only one way I know of to deal with fears, and that's to face them. When you avoid it, the fear it gets bigger. When you face it, it grows smaller. When you move against that fear. Philippians 4.30, there is nothing I cannot master without that or with the help of Christ who gives me the strength. So in all of those three projects that you just wrote down, you can master those with Christ's help because God wants to help you to change you and move you forward to be more like his son, Jesus. He wants you to break out of the rut and stop procrastinating. He wants you to stop stewing and start doing and stop worrying about it and get in the game. Fifth and last, focus on the gain and not the pain. And this is what Jesus did at Easter. The fact of life is there are very few things that are easy, that are worthwhile. Life can be very, very challenging. And you must push through the frustration and look beyond it to the gain, beyond the pain. You look to reward rather than the temporary discomfort which you know. Galatians 6, 9 says, So let us not become tired of doing good, for if we do not give up, the time will come when we will reap a harvest. Now the wrong question is, what do I feel like doing? Let me just say that again. The wrong question is, what do I feel like doing? The right question is, what does God want me to do? Because only immature people live by their feelings. Jesus said life would never be easy. There will be sacrifice and there will be commitment. But there will be tremendous reward when we push through the barrier. Look at Jesus as our example. Here it is in Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the pain, the anguish, the suffering because of the joy. Despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So while running the course, it is necessary to be both driven by faith and to be drawn along by hope. Not to look down at our feet and our surroundings around us or behind us and our accomplishments or our failures, because that will cause you to procrastinate, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus and move forward. What is it that needs changing in your life? And you know about it, but you've been putting it off. One of these days I'm going to dot, dot, dot. What is it going to take you to get into gear? And God says, I want to help you in this area. And the starting point is to get God's power 
in your heart and your life. And the biggest mistake you could ever make is delaying to open your life to Christ. I don't know anybody of sound mind who wouldn't want to get their life right with God. And they say I have every intention to. But friends, here's here's the harsh reality of that. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Why wouldn't you do that today? One of these days is none of these days. Sunday is today. Let's pray. Friends, the Bible challenges us to act in the present. It says today is the day of salvation. And if you've never opened up your life to Christ, why don't you do it now? Don't wait. Many of you have already made that initial commitment. And you're a Christian. Maybe some of you have been saying, well, someday I'm going to get more involved. Sometime I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm really going to live for the Lord. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to stop doing the things I know that are displeasing to God. I'm going to lay those aside. Well, maybe you said someday I really am going to work on my marriage and reprioritize the importance of my marriage. Or someday I'm going to get counseling. Someday I'm going to clean up my life. Well, when? What's your excuse for not starting that right now? You're as close to God, friend, as you want to be. And I invite each of you to say in your heart, Jesus Christ, would you help me to quit procrastinating with my life and help me make my life count for you? something you're going to do with your life start it get on it and whether you have 5 years or 50 years left may the rest of your life be the best of your life and tell God, God I'm sorry for procrastinating about the things you've already spoken to me some of you will want to say God I want to start right now I, I open my heart to you come into my life I've waited long enough Some of you who have already made that decision, I invite you to share with me as your pastor one thing that you've, dis- that you've been putting off and that you've intended to do this week as a result of this message on your communication card. And I will pray for you personally this week. And by the way, sharing it with another person, and it will only be me, will give you an added incentive. Our dear Father, help us not waste our lives, but to make them count. Would you give us the strength to stop making excuses, face our fears, plan our lives counting on you to direct us, and make the most of the opportunities you bring our way. In Jesus' precious and powerful name.